was the star of the show. Don't yeah, go okay. there. Season one was about the Walsh family. I agree with oh, you. Okay, but wait, let me finish. Hey there, Beverly Hills 90210 fans. It's now time to dive deep into an episode-by-episode, character-by-character, song-by-song account of the making of your favorite zip code with your host, Charles Rosen. I sit in the chair. It's one of Sandy's antiques. The whole thing breaks. Larry Mullen. He's not, shouldn't be even in the show. I hope they're going to kill him, and they did. Pete Ferrero. My like TV crush is Claire Arnold. So, I mean, she has to come on the show at this and point. And representing the fans, Lily Amaran. And I love you. I have dreamt about you. What? I'm... Along with many special guests. And your questions. So sit back and relax, because it's like totally time for the Beverly Hills 90210 show. <laughs> All right. Well, here we are back on another week of the Beverly Hills 90210 show. Hey, Chuck, did you like that intro there? You and Jessica going back and forth from last week's big debate. Two of us arguing. <laughs> and, we never so much. and the truth is, we I don't we don't have I don't have many memories of us arguing. Especially over narrative. I mean, never. See what we you did to us, ever. Pete? See what <laughs> you, you did? You, you guys, what was you going? Split the country between blue and red. You, you did it. <laughs> it was a pretty hot week last week. Well, this is going to even be a hotter week because we've got the hottest character from uh, Beverly Hills 90210, someone who definitely broke the mold. Christina Lease, a.k.a. Emily Valentine, is here with us. Um, I know it's been a rough few days. Uh, you've lost your Wi-Fi. There's a lot of AT&T issues. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, how's everything going with you in this whole process, though, of quarantine and, and whatnot? Well, uh, an ex-boyfriend, when this first began, uh, said it best, I think. He said, Christine, you are overqualified for quarantine. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit of a troglodyte. I'm a troglodyte. So I, I'm a homebody, and uh, I'm like, like a homing pigeon. I just, if I go out, I don't ever want to meet. I just fucking zoom back to home again. It's really kind of sad. So I'm doing very well, actually. I'm doing better than can be expected. Yes, I think some of us are able to adapt, and some of us clearly aren't. But I, I, I've, I've loved this. I mean, the, the Beverly Hills 90210 show came from everyone being in quarantine, right? So oh, we're a quarantine baby. Hey, I got to ask you guys, Chuck and Jessica, um, it was clear 90210 needed someone like Emily Ballantyne at the time. Uh, getting into this right off the bat, how did that conversation happen that we're going to bring in someone like this? Do you have memories? Go, Jess. Yeah, I, well, one thing I remember is uh, we got character payments for Emily because we, quote, created her. But I don't remember creating the character. We get, the way it works for writers is if you're the one whose name is on the episode, the first time a writer, a character shows up, I think they send you $30 or something. But whatever, <laughs> um, I remember writing that episode. I remember the reveal that it was a girl on the motorcycle pulling off the helmet. I remember the songs you hated to sing. I remember how perfectly cast you were. I remember more about Emily as a character and about this episode than I do about many things, but I don't remember saying we need to have a character like this to shake everything up, and I don't remember how it came about. How about you, Chuck? Do you remember where it came about? Well, with the female Dylan, you know, we, we, mm. you know, we was something different. 
we had, um, you know, we, we, we had all the other elements in this and yet it didn't, it, you know, and, and my litmus test was as, as Jessica knows and anyone from that time knows, I didn't want a mean girl or an a priori bad girl. Jonathan Littman once pitched me Laura Layton as a teenage escort. And I just said, we don't have any use for that. Oh, my God. No, it would, it would completely, in high school, I mean, it would completely have confounded the, the equilibrium, which was coming out of the Walsh house. So, you know, so we want, but we wanted a hip, bohemian, music oriented, maybe in a band, maybe a, you know, a cool chick from, from Dorchester, you know, something Something looking like that, you know, and, and different. And Christine, you came out to Los Angeles. And I guess I'd imagine from the mo first moment you were here, you knew, oh, I'm different. Yeah. I didn't know before I moved to LA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, coming here, I mean, it's like, you know, the, the, there isn't the, the homegirl. I mean, it isn't Boston. It's a different whole set of uh, structure. No. True, but I was different in Boston, too. So. Matthew okay, said mind. when Emily's <laughs> character was introduced, that is when the show really started hitting its stride. I sort of agree with that. Um, Christine, do you remember auditioning for the show? How, what was that process like for you? It was terrifying because I had to sing. Uh, and I don't sing. I'm not a singer. And um, the character you guys may or may not remember was the prototype or the, the, the breakdown for the character was... Drop dead gorgeous, cascading red curls, you know, sings, plays guitar and rides a motorcycle, none of which I can do. I don't have, did not have cascading red curls and I'm not drop dead gorgeous. So I'm like, okay, I can't do that. So all I can do is be me. And uh, that's what I did. And I had to sing Mercedes Benz. I had to sing Janis Joplin's Mercedes Benz acapella in these auditions and it was horrific. And, uh, and yet, as, as I can speak for Jessica here, as two people sitting in the room, we had no idea that it was horrific because it was terrific. It's <laughs> terrific. And you talk about, you say, I've heard you say how terrible you think you were singing, but you weren't. And it was, and, it played, it played just great. With so she gets on the set. So our friend Christine gets on the set. She says, no, I can't sing. I don't want to do this. It's like, what? <laughs> you know, you're good, and it was pre-recorded it in the studio. I yeah, thought it was good, good. And not good enough to sing the other song because you hired you hired a uh, oh. musician to sing. Uh, what breaking up is hard to do? We did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's that a hard song. Oh, and we are just best. It worked. <laughs> oh, no. And the backup singer sang all the parts, me and the backup. So none of the, none of us, none of the four of us. <laughs> Well, there you go. Okay. Oh, look at that. The magic of television. Do you it's remember true. that, Chuck? I don't remember that. It's a Kenny Miller moment, I guarantee you. <laughs> I'll tell you what else I remember. You guys, I mean, you have to imagine how intimidating it was to come on that show at that point in time. And, uh, and then to have to sing that song like an asshole and pretend to play guitar, which I couldn't do. And I felt like an asshole doing that too. And like, <laughs> yeah, framing the guitar just out of frames so you can't see that I'm you not playing it. You were part of the 902 tradition. Luke couldn't surf. <laughs> Fair enough. But then it's, it's, you didn't have to like pretend to surf. Somebody else did it. 
I had right. to sit there and oh, right. listen to my own voice in the quad with eight million extras, the entire crew, and sing this song horribly too. Shannon <laughs> Doherty, Jenny Garth, Dory Spelling. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. I was literally, you probably don't remember this, but I would sing like, oh Lord, Lord why don't you buy me? And you go cut. And I would start crying. I cried between <laughs> kids. <laughs> Action. Won't you buy me? Uh, you know, it was. <laughs> well, that's the method acting for you. There you go. Oh, God. Really bad that I will do anything. I wanted. Well, it cut together. That's all that mattered. It cut together. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and the kissing looked real. It's well, taken out of the DVDs. That's all I care about. <laughs> um, when you left the audition, were you like, I got that? Or were you like, no way, that's not me? I never think, uh, on the rare occasion I thought that, I didn't get the job. Um, there's been times I was really, like, there's no way someone, no did, way it. someone did it. I don't get the job. But, so, but for the most part, I'm in a blackout when I do auditions. I come out and I don't even know what happened in there. Because I can say the words and do the performance while also thinking about whether I feel fat or that my eye is twitching and that I can hear the reaction of people in the room and, I, and I'm, I'm taking it all in and sort of having an out of body other person do the actual audition. It's a really oh. weird thing. But it's kind of like you drive somewhere and you realize you're like two miles from home and you have no memory of any of that Where drive. Am I? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but Chuck and Jessica, you guys were in the room and you were you were there other people where you've just floored from this is Emily? Aaron, Bella, Aaron, Aaron was in on this part, right, Jess? I think so. Eventually, no, he were, were three eventually and the final one was in Aaron's office. Right. Okay, so that's the one that matters the most. And the fact of the matter is, is is we got him. I mean, one of the reasons that Wildfire is such a cool episode, it was a great time to be on our show right then. We're now going back to high school. We weathered our our Michigas with the network. We got through the Fox, the, the summer series. We even did the the one series, uh, the camping trip to allow you know almost the build up to getting back to school, and and uh, and, and I and Aaron. So I think that you, we got him in that moment of he wanted. Oh yeah, this is different. This is good. This can add something. I mean, he was right on board. There was never any question about wanting to have, I mean, when we put the long red hair in that, we're looking at, you know, some combination of, um, you know, Judy Collins and Carol King or something, you know, that and was- we knew we did, And we didn't have a redhead. So you took care of the, we didn't have, cause you had multicolored hair. So <laughs> right. you, didn't, you didn't look Even like better. anybody else. That Even was better. fine. Yeah. You know what though? Here's another thing that I think is funny. Everybody busts my balls for that hair with the roots. But in the scene where I'm singing Mercedes Benz to the to the girls, Tori Spelling literally has the same color blonde hair I do with two inches of black roots. She has just a longer version of my hair, and yet she was a mainstream, like she had a mainstream look, and I was this crazy girl with happy hair. If you look back at those photos, you'll see we have virtually the same color hair from root to end. It's the craziest thing. But I mean, but, you, you but in Aaron's in mind, when he cast you, you didn't look like Terry. No, so because <laughs> it was it was right. important. It was it's important. It was important to Aaron that Tori had her place and that another Tori wasn't going to come. That's right, and her place was now continuing to grow. Correct. Um, in in season two and 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 on from there. 
Well, outside of the look, though, Christine, how close were you to Emily Valentine back then in terms of being similar to the character? Well, the look was certainly mine. So, like, the outfit that I wear in the um, the uh, Breaking Up is Hard to Do in the quad, like, I think that's what I wore on the first audition, that pink sort of baby doll thing, this hat, and my engineer boots. Um, so the look was certainly mine. Um, and... And Christine Peters, who was the wardrobe assistant, the you know assistant wardrobe chick, she was also a hipster, and she was great at keeping that thread going for me. Um, the character was the same for me as I was in high school, only in that I was um, I was super punk rock in high school, and I graduated in '83. So just do the math; it was nobody punk. I was the only punk rock person, or one of two punk rock people in my entire high school. My high school covered from seventh to twelfth grade, um, and there was a mistaken. You know, uh, people thought I was stupid and a drug addict or a bad girl in some way. In fact, I was super good at two-shoes. I was at the time with a thing they called straight edge. I didn't drink. I didn't do any drugs. I never smoked cigarettes. I was like a straight-A student. And I was the opposite of what everyone perceived me to be. So I had that in common with her. Um, More importantly, oh, go ahead, Chuck. (laughs) What you just described does not sound to me that includes the word punk. I mean, you still dressed, you all punk, but you were the person you just described? Yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah, no. Clarification. I think definitely straight edge probably, right? That's definitely a, a more new, new term, right? No, that um, was the of, of the skinhead kids, the hardcore scene in Boston and DC and stuff. New York, it's a uh, straight edge. It's a big black marker X's in the back of your hand to, to tell other people. I have a stepson who was who was straight edge. A little, a little scary. I, I little scary. Don't you feel like that? I mean, I'm not a bad. I'm not a naughty girl. I'm actually. I think I'm no, pretty. And clever. also, wait. Let's just clarify. Let's clarify for our audience that you were not crazy. Correct. Your character was crazy. You in were fact, not you were- crazy. You, you weren't even crazy to the last episode. That's true. I don't even know if she was crazy. She was just crazy about Brandon, Emily. No, right? she was crazy. We had to send her away to the 90210 hospital. She was <laughs> definitely crazy. She, and, then she got, get and then she got treated, and when she came back, she wasn't she was crazy bad. anymore. They go you get some counseling, you come back. That was, <laughs> and hers was just a little more, more drastic than the others. That's all. <laughs> But it was a. We'll get more into that. Yeah, we'll get into that. Horrible crime in blue collar, the way Ray Pruitt did. Um, (laughs) I wanted to ask you, uh, Christine. Everyone's so young when you joined this cast. You know, you've known them. (laughs) Not me. Well, I mean, young to young to show. They're they're much younger than they are now, right? So what 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 were they what were they like back then? Who's they? Everybody? Yeah. Uh, You know, the girls were way younger than I was. Um, When I started the show, I had a living boyfriend of five years, and I was 26 years old, and I was, you know, a whole whole life, and it wasn't like I... And people, there's a misconception that actors go to sets and suddenly everyone's best best friends and you stay friends forever. It's work. So you're not going there to make friends. It's great if if friendship happens, but that's not what you're there for. And and I had, uh, frankly, been warned that um, the girls might not be so nice to me on the first day I got there. So um, that was intimidating too, being told that. So, um, um, Do you remember so what you shot on the first day? What was the I, first think it, I think it was, I, I, my notoriously not 
well good at remembering things, but I think it was the scene with Dylan on the motorcycle. Mm. Yeah. Right. Well, how you said, how were you welcomed when you got to set? You were told it might not be good, but how was it when you oh, got was there? Was it Ken Wagner? Is it, is it Ken Wagner? Oh. Is it Paul, Paul Wagner. Paul Wagner. Uh, pulled me in his office and said, the, the boys are going to be great. I can't promise you anything with the girls. And, um, and the girls were just basically aloof. I, I really, my, my, um, my, my description of how they treated me or my experience of them has evolved to, to ex include the explanation that when you go on a set, I'm a new kid in school, literally, I'm big, figuratively and literally, I'm the new kid on the block in, in, in that reality, in a really huge show, in a really intimidating situation. And so if people aren't overtly, aggressively friendly, it feels like hostility because you're so insecure and so like, uh, I don't know who the, you know, I don't know where the craft service is and I don't know who the crazy people are. And, um, so just even ignoring me felt like hostility and pretty much that's what they did. They pretty much ignored me. Luke on day one and for the first couple of days I was there went way out of his way to make sure I had someone to have lunch with and I knew where my trailer was and walked me all around. And Luke was went out of his way to be really, really friendly. And that's a unique experience. I've never had an experience with an, another actor in my entire career. They went, the series regular went so far out of their way to be nice to a guest star. It just doesn't work that way typically. Uh, with the exception of Nathan, is it Nathan Fillion? Um, the guy from the castle? Yeah. Mm -hmm. He, Canadian boy, I think too, but he was also, I, I had a dog die on me when I was doing that show and he was, he went fetch me coffee and stuff. He was super, super nice. So, but, <laughs> but uh, and Jason is a charmer. Jason's always nice to everybody. That's Jay, and Brian and I and are too. So the boys were really funny and flirty and, um, and the girls were just indifferent to me. Yeah. Uh, interesting about Luke, every guest star that we've interviewed says the same thing that Luke welcomed them to the set in one way or the other and went out of their way to do that. So it's an it's a experience of just, and probably speaks to who he was. You know, Absolutely. and as a lesson that I took with me on the rare occasion I've been in that position, I would try to be Luke to guest stars. I would try to be the same thing. Go ahead, Chuck, you were gonna say something? Well, you know, people would say, would say to me how friendly the set was. It was one of the most friendly sets and it really was Partially because of Luke and Jason, of course, they set the the tenor. But at the same time, the crew was pretty was always pretty open and friendly. Yeah. They they and and the actors, both male and female, really bonded with the crew because as we talked about, this show was made in the boonies in a warehouse yeah. uh, across the street from where raves take place and uh, and where they shoot porn. And yeah. we were way in the we middle of nowhere. And we and we and we had a caterer, so we served meals, and everybody was together. If you were working, yeah, and we're truly friends. Like I went to Ross's wedding. Ross was, a, I think, he was in the property department. Oh, such a nice guy, Ross Anderson. Yeah, yeah. Great guy. And, and Kevin Caffrey, uh, KC Kevin Caffrey. I still see at Jason's sure. house on a regular basis, and he's a godparent to both Jason's kids. That's how. That's the Jason, Jess. That's who uh, Jason did the um, the driving with. Yeah. You remember the crew member, he was really That's close. Boy That's Boy Electric on the show. Yeah. When we talk about Wildfire, um, everybody I talk to about this says it's their favorite, one of their favorite 90210 episodes. Um, That's nice. Mainly also because this is where uh, uh, Dylan and Brenda get back together. So a lot of people like that, right? But also we get the, we get Emily Valentine, uh, the, the new character that's coming in. So, and I think people, but you know, need we the show needed that. 
But I'm curious, Chuck, the show sort of starts up. We have the song. Um, we talk about music here, the music of 902 on the show a lot. And Addicted to Love opens this this episode, or it's early on in the episode. And then they're talking about Addicted to Close, but we don't ever see the song performed Addicted to Close. Right. Well, what, well this what is happened the, here. And how did I, we, yeah. I can tell you. So when I said that this was really Jessica and Steve's, like, it's high school, here we are, this is why you wanted us here. They were so excited because we had, had something in place called Hello Day, which is where you did the skits, which was a Beverly Hills High School institution. I, I sang in Hello Day. In fact, I got the junior class, the class of 1970, kicked out for the song I sang, which is what you would expect from someone like me. But at the sing? same time, What'd you sing? I, sang, I sang a parody of uh, the song um, uh, uh, Michelle. Oh, by the Beatles. I was, a, I was the Brandon. Brandon Walsh was a political. So if you indulge me one minute, I do remember it. It was this. Um, hello, voter. You and I were strangers to today. But I got to say, your hair looks great. And I really can groove on your coat. How about a vote? I'm running for junior class president. My snobbery is a crime. But it's election time. I'll be your friend. I'll love you too. But don't vote for him. Um, oh, no. Uh, you can drive my car. You can be a commissioner. I forgot all the things. But what got me fired was... Um, our president, uh, our principal was named uh, Willard Robinson. They called him the doc. And I just said, made emphatically at the end. Um, and to this day, what I, I and let me say, and to this day, I, um, <laughs> there'll be no, I, I rhymed the doc. I, I will fire oh, the God. doc. I, I will fire the doc. And I will say this very day, no school on Pesach. And that was <laughs> got me fired because I said I'd fire the principal. Oh, there you that go. That was it. So, and then it went on and it was pretty funny. So to bring this back that, to the you show. You can submit that song to the Biden campaign, maybe. No. <laughs> that was Jump Hello Day. That was it great. was really fun. We planned to do the parody song, so which yeah. is why we had the scene in the kitchen where we they're writing the parody song. And where I get to hear my favorite line of all of 90210 said out loud, I need a new bracelet to match my new nose. Which <laughs> just thought was so funny. And hearing it again after all these years made me laugh. But and it and it was great. So we went to the company, the the um Robert Palmer's Robert company Palmer. with the lyrics, and they passed. They said no. And then yes. I said, well. If we can't do the lyrics, we want to use the song on uh, on the show to open the show because and and that great mom to it and and addicted to close the great stuff that Jessica and Steve, which really was the first thing we talked about about the episode. You would read you read me the parody You're like yeah, this is great. We're going here, and um and what ended up happening and it's a very special moment. You can ask uh, see, Jason probably doesn't remember it, but Robert Promer tried to welch out of the deal. And we were, you were filming the next day and Jason's in my office and it was the first time he understood why I was an executive producer. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking to Robert Palmer's agent, this, this 
sorry if anybody's from England, this slimy British music guy. And I and, 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 and I just I said to him, yeah, you know what? We got a deal. I, I moved on your deal. And if you don't like it, but the name of the company is 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 um, you know, his Aaron Spelling's lawyer, Pauline Cahan. You call her. We're going forward. We have a deal. Hung up the phone. He heard me yell, and that guy went, Oh, he's got that side of his personality. <laughs> moment. But that's all so that's the music thing. We couldn't do what we really wanted. So we but kept we were the outfits and we and we kept the outfit and we changed the song. And oldies were less costly, so breaking up is hard to do. Clearly, kind of summarized where Brenda's head was. And, and we uh, got to you have that great cutaway, cutting back and forth between Brenda and Dylan, as she sang about breaking up is hard to do. And we realized at that moment they really are going to have another yeah. shot. I mean, it's almost genius in a way that that's the song because. Emily and Brandon could be defined as breaking up is hard to do, right? <laughs> it's foreshadowing. Are you I was just gonna are say. you guys that much of geniuses that you foreshadowed it with breaking up is hard to do? No. <laughs> uh, our friend Darren Martin, who we all love, says, I love Chuck Rosen. So uh, there you go. Darren was very helpful this week. Um, everybody, loves Darren. everybody loves Darren Martin. Beautiful guy. Yes. Um, so do you remember, so you shot the stuff with Luke first then, Christine, and do you remember doing that? Uh, no, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't actually remember doing it. No, I remember the scenes I remember most of the stuff is the stuff that I did with Shannon. Um, because, uh, I, Shannon brought things out of me that I didn't anticipate. Um, she was <laughs> intimidating as a price of human. Um, and She's a really present actress, and I did better stuff in my scenes with her than I hoped that I might. So I remember those scenes really, really well. In fact, I remember a moment at this at the end where I have the fight at the lockers, and I tell her I'm a virgin, and she thinks I'm a whore. And um, and I I was a pretty you know I was not a super experienced actress at the time, you know, and um, I'm the kind of actor when I drop a line, I go, oh, fuck, fuck, fuck. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, fuck. And, uh, and I was so into this thing with her. I was so in the zone with her. I, for the first time in my life, it's like on the verge of tears, yelling at her in my righteous indignation and didn't know the line. I said, line. And, you know, the supervisor gave me the line and I stayed right in, I stayed in the moment, even though I had to do that call for the line, which I'd never done before. I was so proud of myself. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but she's such a, she was a really fun actress to work opposite. That's awesome to hear. Um, well, if I can, I, I want to. It wasn't a scene with you and and uh, and Shannon, but with with Luke and Shannon, and and I wanted to talk about this one scene that Jessica and Steve wrote, because the one thing when you're a writer, you write a line of dialogue, and the actor is going to interpret the dialogue. So if you write something like, um, oh, "Give me a break, Dad," that can also be "Give me a break, Dad," you know, with real anger, and so. What I really loved about the scene where where Brenda's full throttle anger came out and, and wild charges came out at Dylan, Dan Addius directed Luke to almost play the whole scene in a whisper. That he never, we often saw Luke go tete-a-tete uh, tete with, with Brenda. Dylan go tete-a-tete uh, tete with it. But D Dan 
played it that it was almost a whisper. And it was what enabled her to get out of that attack mode and hear what he had to say. It is one of the most effective scenes I've seen in all of these going back and giving giving episodes a second look of just an individual scene. Really, really beautiful. Yeah. I mean, Shannon is... I mocked Luke for being a whisper actor for a very long time. I think uh, in the, I think in that same episode he goes where where should we start? It was the be- beginning, the middle of the end, and he they're in the car, right? The beginning. I think he says the beginning. I didn't get to watch them again because I had no freaking internet, so I couldn't watch them again. So I'm t- I'm talking from pure memory. Um, <laughs> but I mocked beginning, middle, and end all in whisper talk. Every song. I'm he's a whisper actor. That whisper thing stuck, and he did it forever. And it was hilarious and effective. But I very effective, yeah. Um, you said Shannon, uh, she's so good in these, in these, in this, in these couple of episodes that we all watched again. I mean, she's really delivering on a on a big level at a young age. What was Shannon like? I told you already. She was pretty much. <laughs> um, I, there was no. I didn't have any. You know between scenes banter with her like I did with, with Jason and her mother Jason don't work with Jason so very little like I, I, I wouldn't say that I have really any idea I, I had spent more time with Shannon in the reboot than I did ever with uh, on in the original show well we all love Shannon here so make a note of that um, I just wanted to ask you though what was it like working were you a fan of the show uh, prior to had you seen the season one so did you know when you walked in, like who Luke Perry, who Dylan is and who Brandon is? There's, yes. And there's a kind of a funny story that maybe none of you guys know. Um, I was living with the guy I've been living for five years. His name is Jamie. And, um, and that summer episodes were airing and people were calling us saying, Oh my God, you guys put the TV on. Jamie's twin is on TV. Jamie's twin on TV. And it was Jason. And, um, at the time, my boyfriend and I had this running joke. We were both pretending we were both in love with this really cute chola uh, bag or a supermarket in Highland Park. And we both pretend that we were like flirting with her and come back and lie that she'd given one of the others her number or something. And then, so then I, when when the, we were like watching that or two, because everyone thought Jason looked like Jamie, um, I began pretending that I had a big crush on Jason. And then I get the I get an audition with Bob Harbin, who wrote who was the head of casting at Fox. I don't know why it's a general meeting. Hey, Bob Harbin wants to meet you. Okay, great. Bob Harbin, hey, how you doing? You know, what are you doing? What do you, what do you think of TV? And I gave a big long speech that if that TV was soulless and I wanted to be a film actress, and that if I had a crystal ball, would know that TV would be my entire. And I'm telling the head of casting at Fox this. Uh, that if TV's been my whole career, I should go into plastics. And such a douchey, incredibly arrogant, weirdly bizarre thing to say to the head of casting at Fox. And he says, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll keep you in mind for other things. And he, I said, well, what were you thinking of now? He said, oh, they're adding a character to 90210. And I thought, you might be right for it. And I said, oh, 90210, I have to do that. I have to make out with Jason Priestley. I should never have gotten past that meeting. I should never have gotten to audition for the show. I said it joking, pulling a private joke from my life into a really incredibly intense professional meeting. And that's how I behaved, like a jackass. 
<laughs> I got the job, and then I ended up living with Jason. So Bob Harmon must think I'm a crazy psycho. <laughs> so, and I'm the one who said you don't resemble your character at all. You're not crazy. Bob Harmon and I still speak, so he doesn't think I'm crazy. There uh, you go. do say hello. Say hello for him. We did a we did a pilot together. He's uh, I'm very fond of him as well. He's lovely and forgiving, apparently. <laughs> on that note, you do get to make out with both Jason Priestley and Luke Perry in this in this first episode. Uh, that's pretty much throwing you into the fire. Part of the pun, yeah. I guess, to you. Assembly line makeout too is in the same location on the same day. It's like literally make out with Jason. Okay, right? You know, cut. Luke is in the car. You know. <laughs> what is that? Who did you make out with like first? You? Yeah, who did you make out with remember. first? And then Shaq has to get in the car and do it again. It was all shot the same night. Right? Yeah. It was a different car, obviously. But, yeah, I, it yeah. was all the same. I don't, I don't know who came first. Um, so one thing, one thing, just to tell the audience and the fans to know this, most likely that night when all that was filmed was a Friday night because you always want to end a week on your night shooting and start early on Monday because of union rules. Yes. Even union though we were non-union rules at that point. But the actors were union, and they were required. The actors were union. Exactly. They had to have a 12-hour turnaround. Right. So you always do night stuff. Hours. So, you know, we could have kept you there to uh, 5 in the morning, 4 in the morning. Yeah. Probably not, because it was residential. The permit would be struck at 2, yeah. but likely. But, you know, do, late. You, do you recall doing those scenes, though, with both of those guys? Yes. What was that? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's bizarre. Like people think you, uh, I used to, I used to not be unable to do interviews and have any humor. I was super answer everything super earnestly and tell the truth. But, and, and it, it gave, it made a very boring interview uh, interviews. And, and I learned from Noah Wiley actually on ER, how they don't really want the answer to the question they ask you. They want you to say something funny. Um, <laughs> so, um, and then Noah Wiley's really good at that. And so is Jason actually like the, Jason would be on like Letterman or whatever, and he asked a question, and Jason wouldn't answer it. I'd be yelling at the TV. That's not the question he asked you. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so the question I, I got asked a lot though was, "Who's a better kisser, Jason or uh, Luke?" And then when I did ER, I had, I had made out with Noah, and then off camera made out with George Clooney as well. And so that question came up. I've been asked that question like, "Who's better?" a lot, and the real answer is. I don't really know. I don't. No one who's kissed me on camera knows what it's like to kiss me because that's not how I kiss in real life. It's a screen kiss. It's not like I mean, you know, I'm not. I have a no tongue rule. It's gross. And except, except for the time when I was living with Jason doing scene, and I watched them now, it's vile to watch us actually really kiss. It's so obscene. Um, so I wouldn't. But I would never want somebody to think that kisses me in a scene to think that they know what it's like to kiss me. So I have no idea what it's like to kiss. Luke Perry. I do know what it's like to kiss Jason. Um, yes. but I don't know what it's like to kiss Noah. And, and I don't, and I feel like I gave that answer one time when I asked about Noah. Uh, I feel like I hurt Noah's feelings, but not just saying is he's the best kisser on earth. I just should have said, because it's a cuter answer. And that's what people want to hear. Right. <laughs> I, was like, I, don't know. I don't really kiss him. So, <laughs> so that. Um, but wait a minute. Uh, I'm going to call you now because you did, you did really kiss Jason. So was Jason's kiss uh, similar on screen as it is off screen, or no? Not until the later episodes where we were really a couple, and like I said, they were seeing kisses that I can't watch anymore. 
I see. Yes. <laughs> He's like my brother. It's gross. <laughs> um, but you do get to work with him a lot, Jason, um, in this early part. I mean, they're, they're going to pair you two up. Um, and you had made that comment to the casting. Uh, what is it like working with him at that age before you started dating, before all that stuff? What is Jason like back then acting wise? And we, you kind of said some things nicely when he was here. Uh, maybe wanna- not here. I'm going to tell you the truth. <laughs> no, what I said, what what she said then. Um, he was amazing. He was 21 years old when I did my first episode. I think by the time I came back, he had turned 22 or was turning 20. So he's I've known him his entire adult life. And at 21, he was the master of that set. He was the grown up in the room. Um, he was super generous to everybody. Really. I was always nice to the crew. I never thought of the crew and actors as being on a different plane, but he clearly made that, like that was very clear on that set. And, um, and he, like I said, the last time he was so talented that he could be doing a scene and see that I'm not on my mark and like without even breaking the scene, like I didn't break the scene and I think with Shannon, he would like just reach under the outer frame and pull me onto my mark while talking to me this whole time. And you wouldn't even see his hand out of frame. But, uh, he was he was just really comfortable and so adult and I was I, and he wouldn't tell me how old he was I didn't know I thought he was older than I I thought he wouldn't tell me his age because he was old but it would turn he told, didn't tell me his age because he was young, um, but he was uh, really I learned a lot I learned a lot I learned a lot from him how to behave on a set I learned a lot about about from him ultimately how to behave in public when people are intrusive and uh, overwhelmed by their they're awful clump because they're, you know, they're meeting Brandon Walsh. And, um, and I also learned from him, the reason I ended up writing for the show was I learned from him uh, to take advantage of opportunity when it's right there in front of you. You have access to people and, and uh, opportunities like directing or producing, take them. And uh, he would buy, he'd like buy walkie talkies and rent them back to the show. The show used to have a game, a big sit in like racing video game that the show would rent every year at, for huge money and then give it back because shows can't maintain assets from year to year. So they couldn't actually own it. They had to rent it. Well, Jason bought it and then rented it back to the show. Like it was really. <laughs> oh yeah. He was, he was giving people a stop tips. Back yeah. then at 21, 22, 23. He wasn't telling us what horse to bet. He was telling us what, you know, this tech yeah. stock or this stock or this Canadian company. Yeah. I do remember yeah. all of that. Very sure. So that was that, and that's why I, I admitted my attempt to start writing for the show was I watched that and I thought I have access, I should take advantage of it. And so I did. Yeah. I think we could bring you back at some point to talk about some of the writing that you've you did for 90210. I think that would be a lot of fun to talk about. Speaking of the writing, one thing that I love about, and I wrote this in my notes to Chuck, is that 90210 always back in those days gets high school like totally spot on. You know, J, uh, Brandon goes in and tells Brenda. Oh my God, you're not going to believe what happened with, uh, you know, with Emily at school with Dylan. And she gets right on the phone with Kelly. Jessica, how are you able to write for high school like that? I, we all wrote for high school. We were writing the lives that we led in high school. Chuck was writing about Beverly Hills. Steve was writing about Beachwood, Ohio. I was writing about New York City. But there's a universality to the experience of being young that we were lucky enough to still remember. And I went on and wrote about high school for years after 90210. I, I 
part of what makes it great to write about people that age is everything's happening to you for the first time. So the emotions are all so heightened and the, the highs and the lows, I, I mean, I've said many times that, you know, you could be so incredibly depressed, but if the right person calls and says, come to a party, you will, you're suddenly awake and you get on and you put on a dress and you go and you have a good time. And the, it, it's the, to me, it was that the great thing about 90210 was the roller coaster, uh, the emotional roller coaster that everybody was on. And um, the, the show had different flavors. And in one episode, multiple flavors. And it, I, I find it really entertaining to look back and watch these things because it, uh, it, I, it, it touches me. Do you remember our slogan, Jessica, at those years? You can repeat it, Chuck, because Larry and I have talked about it. Helping to keep America immature. <laughs> that was not the one I was thought you were going to say. That was the only one that we really yeah. think about it. Oh, and, kiss, and kissing is good. Jessica yeah. is the best. Uh, kissing Chris, is good. Jessica is the best high school writer of all time. That so is that, the nicest thing. Thank you so much. Yeah. You uh, know, it was funny. Oh. After after nine or two and oh, flash forward years later, I'm writing another high school show, um, and my daughter was in high school by that time. And so instead of writing my high school experience, I was writing her high school experience. And there were changes as, you know, the world changed, the kids changed. But one of the nicest letters that Aaron ever shared with us, because there were so many letters coming in all the time from not, all over the world about 90210. And one kid wrote from Russia. And Aaron, I remember, was in his office. Oh, he yeah. They, he office. loved that letter. That was his letter. And he said, how do you know us so well? This kid mm. wrote. And it was so, it, it just, it made us all really proud because the, the, the kid experience was the same emotionally. Spelling yeah. Entertainment had a very strong um, international distribution company. And we were so lucky because when we finished our first year is the same year that most of Western Europe opened up uh, another commercial network and they needed programming. And that's why Baywatch and Beverly Hills 90210 played all around the world because there were so many new slots to fill. So uh, it was really exciting for us. We were in Russia, Soviet Union had just fallen and some ol oligarch probably who, uh, you know, is all up Putin's ass today, but he bought the, uh, uh, you know, we, we were on, we were on early and we would get these letters and it really meant a lot to him. To, I, was in a that I was in a gift shop at the Vatican in must've been season, the uh, season four or whatever. And I, we were in the gift shop. There's a postcard of Jason Priestley in the Vatican. Wow. So it was like, this is a, this is too much. And they loved us in Italy. Um, by the 23rd minute in this episode of Wildfire, Emily Valentine is in this episode in a very big way. The entire school is like shook by her presence. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Oh, the girls even say, um, you, we have a word for her, right? Uh, slut. Jessica, for, for you, do you, first off, do you think that that, I mean, you guys make it work at the end of the episode that she's not, but do you think that that ages well? the four girls saying that about that character. 
I think that it was wrong of them to say it then, and I think it's it would be wrong today. And I think she redeemed herself. But what I liked about the character and what I wrote, because the girls were wrong, was this girl was it was connected to her own sexuality, and she was she would kiss whoever she wanted to kiss, and she would get birth control pills so that she would be okay if she decided to sleep with one of them. I thought she was a fabulous character, and she represented uh, my belief system that way. And yes. there, I'm sure there was somebody who thought I was a slut at the time. So and we and we pointed out and we pointed out that. We wanted characters to do things wrong so they learn from their behavior. But she and, didn't and really, at that time, in the beginning of the episode, she really hadn't done anything wrong. Right. She went not. out with two boys. She kissed two boys. But she even says, she says it to Brenda. I didn't sleep with them. I, I wouldn't have gone out with your brother right. if I had slept with uh, Dylan yeah. the night before. I, I wouldn't have done that. She had her own moral code that she was living by. Christine, what do you think about this? I would like to interject that you're asking about how it ages, uh, as far as the way um, I think it, it. I think it's still as wholesome a version of high school as it ever. I think kids are so much meaner now. Kids are provoking yes. other kids to commit suicide. Yes, cruelty has gone to the next level. So that. You can't say that four girls calling another girl a slut has somehow doesn't age well because you know bullying is bad. Bullying is off the chart, and that's still yeah. a quaint version of bullying. That, and, and Emily didn't even hear it. You know, that's right. Yeah. Right. Today um, it would all right, be on exactly. social media. Yeah, and social media. Life would be destroyed. Yeah. Um, but when you read that, um, uh, sorry, Christine, when you read that, that Emily is going to make this shake up the show this way. What are you, you know, what are your thoughts on that? when you were reading that? Well, first of all, when I got the job, it was for one episode with the possibility of 10. So it was just a one episode job, really. That was the only guarantee I had. And I liked it. I love the moral of the story being don't judge a book by its cover. I've said that a lot. I think that's a fantastic lesson. And uh, I, I, I also it was my personal experience in high school as well. And I think that's a really important message to tell kids. So I... I loved it. Yeah, it was cool. Um, and did when you guys you guys wrote her for one, and then you loved her, and you were like, "We're going to do more with her." How did that play out for you guys, Chuck? Exactly, exactly. It was your protection when you had an art. You you don't want to. You got to see all the good. You got to see if there's chemistry. You have to. You have to. You know. And and uh, it was clear there was. And. Um, we, and it wasn't, I don't believe, if we go through the numbers, I don't believe that it was 10 episodes from, maybe it was from Wildflower to um, My seven. Desperate Valentine. It was, I was, I think it was like the possibility of 10 and you guys gave me a 7 out of 10. Is what I seven think. Out of, oh, okay. Instead of 7 out of 12, it was a 7 out of 10. I think um. so. The other song obviously identified with you is the, the Chris Isaac song, uh, the wicked game and you you said last one time you were popped in here it's such a great song and it really is becomes like a 90210 iconic thing for for so many different things but you still that's a brenda dylan song no but Uh, you made out to it too but didn't you make out to it too i think you yeah well yeah yeah, you were in the car 
on the first season. Yeah. It of played twice in the episode. Okay. I don't even remember having it for me. I remember how effective it was in the Brenda Dillon thing. It was really heartbreaking. It was well used there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Chuck, I think we talked about it in the music episode, but it was was Chris Isaac a fan of the show? How did you guys get Chris Isaac? This was, you know, it was one of Darren, REM, and Chris Isaac. He said, We need these guys. And he went with Kenny Miller and he he brought Chris Isaac to. He knew that song would play. You know, that, uh, yeah. And it's great. It's but you great, said, great. Interesting, you said that there's, is that, that song, a song, if you hear it on the radio, it's, it does put you back in that time period? Me? With the grand Brenda and Dylan, though. Not, that, not with you. Yeah. No, I'm, Solid team Brenda, too, so. Oh, boy, don't go there. We did that last week. And we did more than enough of that. <laughs> yeah. um, let's talk about euphoria. When they t- when they tell you that you're going to be slipping a drug into uh, Jason's or Brandon's drink, what do you think of that storyline? Chuck, you may or may not remember. Uh, oh, yeah, people- yeah, yeah, yeah. You go on. I, you, know, you know what the truth is. You start, you know, on all... Tell what the truth is, too. Okay. Uh, I didn't. I mean, I was sad that she was doing bad things, and I, um, I, in fact, I was saying to Jason, "I'm sad about this. I don't like this. She's going crazy. It's bumming me out." He's like, "You should call Aaron Spelling." Like, I can't oh. call Aaron Spelling. He's like, "You should call Aaron." Hold on. He dials his. Who has a cell phone back then? Jason dials yep. Aaron's number. Puts me on the phone. I'm like, oh, God, hello. It's Mr. Spelling's office. Can I speak to Aaron Spelling? Who's calling? Christina Lee. Aaron Spelling takes the call. Which you should not have done. Are you seeing this pattern of me being incredibly arrogant and stupid? <laughs> and we do call Aaron and complain about the storyline. And I was like, oh, I'm really bummed that she's, you know, she's going crazy. Oh, don't worry, we're going to redeem her. It'll all be great. And, you know, maybe we'll give you a spinoff. And I was like, oh. <laughs> he said that? Aaron said that? <laughs> and I'm like, humana, humana, humana. And he goes, what? Have I ever lied to you? I'm like, well, you've never spoken to me before. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, he effectively shut me up um, and then I went yeah. to say and there was a scene written where I was supposed to be high on Euphoria and dancing on her table singing Euphoria to the seat, to the tune of Gloria and I never knew which Gloria you guys intended was it like Gloria Gloria, or like you know U2's Gloria or yeah. a lot of Gloria you got the choice between some Gloria Gloria and Van Morrison where do you think yeah, I would oh, right. yeah. okay <laughs> <laughs> Standing like high on cocaine, sing, dancing on a table, singing cocaine. So I was disgruntled, and I and um and I complained about it. And, and somebody told Chuck I was complaining about it. And the message I got back was, "Tell the say the fucking lines like I fucking wrote them." <laughs> <laughs> Did I say that? Jeez. <laughs> you said say the lines fucking written. <laughs> there is that. Point of view. Some people were much worse, you know. They, they put it on the script. Ed Zwick, you cannot change a line without calling the producer, and you know all. Of, but but you know it was. There is this creeps with with some of us who aren't that familiar with the inner dynamic of what it takes to be an actor. There's the school of thought: know your lines, hit your marks, and go home. I don't trip and that really is always a safe you know, a, a strategy for an actor some ways, especially on a series. And so, but but the truth is what Christine did not know until many, many years later, and we have personal friendship with Jay and, and saw each other other times, 
I lost this battle because I did not want her to slip him a Mickey. I thought that was total bullshit. And I thought we could get more out of it if Jay finally caved to peer pressure. Because yeah. he wanted to get into the girl's pants. I'm sorry. That's what guys did. And, you know, McDermott, they just wouldn't go there. And Aaron knew that I had lost the battle when you called him. And and uh, and he stayed value neutral on that. Aaron picked his battles, and that wasn't one he was going to have. And ultimately, I lost it. I mean, what are you going to do? It's just, so we had to have. So if you're going to do something as stupid as slip someone a Mickey, well, then you better burn down the house. You know, you better burn the float. I mean, so when I lost the battle is when the fire notion of a fire came out. I, that's how I remember it, Jessica. Do you remember I don't it? remember because after ha having written Wildfire, Alison Adler, I think, is who wrote Euphoria. Oh, she. Oh, you mean somebody has a name that's credited on here. That's not you or me. Right. Because somebody okay. was credited. You yeah. want to make that straight. You're going to find that about the next five or six, seven episodes. You're going to see names and... And, I, and, I, I don't remember but, any of them. I remember Jessica and me. There and are Steve. people. There are people who are listed <clears throat> as story editors and producers of the show who I don't remember. In as we get through into seasons five, five, six, and seven, don't even remember them at all. But <laughs> I do remember that 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 this episode we must have been on to our next one because we wrote a lot that year because a you lot. Think, we did a lot. Because you did that, you took over that that episode. We yeah, were not. Sure did. That we was. Did um, we went to Chucky. Oh yeah, Chucky's back. That was one oh, of your Chucky's terrific back. ones. That's yeah, yeah. Iron. So that was very. We were really, really. That involved. was your episode. Chucky's back. Yeah, I love that episode. Then, so came, we then came Darren. Then came Darren doing a Walsh Family Christmas, and after that was uh, Carl Suter Sada, who was Paul's. Um, partner and then with a little assist from me doing fire and ice so that's who was doing stuff at that point so we had darren we had jessica and steve we had me and it was a rotation and then darren springs on us i'm we're, uh, yeah i'm going to this uh up the uh, in the west hollywood and melrose place and we had just lost a third of our brain trust mm. and a major part of it not even fair to call him a third he's the creator of the show um i want to show you this scene christine i think you and jason are phenomenal in this little bit Brandon, are you on something, man? What? Yeah, the hood of my car, same as you. <laughs> Where'd you get that little scar on your eyebrows? It's <laughs> so cute. I don't believe this. Oh, hey, Brandon, relax. I feel great. I feel stoned, man. Uh, you're the expert. <laughs> I mean that in a good way. You know how you handle your alcohol thing real good. Oh, yeah. Shut up, man. So negative. Really, man. God, you guys. Eyes. You guys are earrings right now. <laughs> there you go. And that's and that's the real hat, right? That's the Emily Valentine hat. I saw someone asked me that. Yes. That is her. That is the hat. Um, do you remember doing all this stuff on the car? And obviously there's the more the more infamous thing that you do on the car. Let me show that real quick. Just... You no, know, I always thought if someone would be tempted to get stoned, it would be you. Well, I get tempted every day. Come on. Oh, hey, 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 come on, guys, don't go away, man. Just go away. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't I do believe that was ad libbed. Do you know what was ad libbed? I think, really? don't, go, don't, don't go away, man, just go away. I think, I feel like that was ad libbed. Could be, you know, Jay was great at ad libbing. Most of this is, I'm watching this scene and I'm remembering. This one really fell a lot on, at least at one pass, on Jonathan uh, Roberts' uh, desk because 
the scene with the egg is 100% him. So he must have done more than just that. That's my favorite scene in the entire series. The scene yeah, with I've heard that before. I've heard that from with with Ian and and uh, Gabby. And yeah, well, I mean, you brought the the you know you do the first bit with the egg. Um, I'm curious where that where the I mean, we talked about in one of the other episodes we had Gabrielle the 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 egg line itself. But where did the whole concept of going to a a, a liquor store for this party invite come from? It, was that a thing back then, Chuck? That you had heard about? I can interject. Go ahead. Yeah. I used to, <laughs> I'm telling you that I'm a goody two shoes, uh, but back in the eighties, Jamie and I used to host the exact same kind of club that we ended up going to. We used to host these itinerant illegal nightclubs downtown. We'd rent a warehouse for one night. Um, and on my credit card rent, D he's like, I want to be a DJ. I'm like, okay, now you're going to be a DJ. And so we did these clubs. And so I'd rent DJ equipment with, I'd rent a, a location in some warehouse downtown for one night. We'd rent generators if we had to. We'd buy alcohol and, and I'd work the door and Jenny would be the DJ and we used to do these, I actually do these clubs. Like I used all on my credit card, which is incredibly reckless. I should have, I could have been jailed for a very long time. We're selling alcohol after hours, potentially to minors without a license to do any of it. No insurance. And downtown, I don't know why we didn't get robbed by just random like gangsters down there. Um, but you, you do, in order, one of the ways in which you try to avoid bullshit way to try to avoid going to jail is when Jamie would flyer. I'd stay home and read. I was a big reader. I'd stay home reading. He'd go to the other clubs to flyer our club. And the flyer didn't have a, the club's address on it. It had a different address. It wasn't a liquor store, but it was somebody an address. And then somebody would be at that address on the night of the event with a map to the real address so that if police went to the real address on the map, that we, on the invitation, it wouldn't be a club there. And then... You know, theoretically, you wouldn't hand a real invitation to an actual cop. That's and by the way, I I did a pilot in 1999 for Fox, and we did a rave, and it was the exact same thing. Then there was that protocol. You didn't know where the rave was. Yeah, just you know, slightly. Different. I mean, they were illegal. They were. Right. Uh, we wouldn't even do the other stupid thing. Like we wouldn't sell alcohol. We would sell like we'd always have a different thing, like a little trinket. We get to buy like hundred plastic little plastic camel charms and you'd go and you buy a plastic camel charm for ten dollars and then go trade that somewhere else in the room for a drink so we weren't technically selling alcohol we're selling mm -hmm. plastic charm it's just so dumb it was so ridiculously illegal <laughs> did, alcohol, did alcohol mix with ecstasy no ecstasy no this is pre-ecstasy this is the 80s this is like before oh, okay gotcha um because that euphoria was ecstasy. Yeah, yeah. That was our made-up name for ecstasy. Right. And um, the other party drug, Quaaludes, was already gone. So you couldn't. That was not there anymore. Todd H. is asking about, and by the way, Todd H. does all of our clips. Thank you, Todd, for all the help that you do here with the show. We would not be oh, able to. Oh, good job, Todd. Yeah. Um, he wants to know, was, and I, I'm assuming he's talking about Don't Go Away, uh, the Don't Go Away Mad, which, by the way, you can get Just Go Away at the Don't Go Away Mad, Just Go Away t-shirt at our show shop, um, Beverly Hills 90210 show shop. And where you can get this one as well. There you go. I'm lucky to have. There you go. Um, it does look a lot like the Peach Pit After Dark. So was that filmed outside the studio uh, where the rave, where they were on the car and all that? No, it wasn't. Um, the, where we filmed, and, and it was... Um, you know, I just went over the second season. I looked at everything in the second season. And really, I have to say that in terms of production, 
this was the production of the second season. And it really comes because of a guy, our, our DP at the time, um, named Dan McKinney. Remember him, Daniel, from, from back to North Carolina after this season when the show went union. And he he and the camera crew went non-union. And, uh, you know, had, he, had, it, had we stayed a non-union show, excuse me, had we stayed a non-union show and they had voted for that, he would have come back as a DP. But he did really beautiful work on this and he had those special lights and it was right across the street. Yeah. So if you don't have trucks and you don't move your trucks and you don't leave the area, you just save the bundle. And when you save the bundle, you could put the money back into the show on lighting and on extras. So production wise, it was really cool. Everything you see was in a warehouse across the street, whereas the Peach Pit After Dark, that brick facade yeah. that you see where we put that in, that was a um, that was a warehouse on our side of the street across yeah. from the alley. This was almost directly across the street in one. And you chuckled when I made the references to all the pornography being made on our block, but that was, we would have adult actresses come in to the, and really excite Dan Evans, you know, they, they, he'd come in and, 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 you know, these, these very chesty women and looking for the sets, but no, they were across the street actually. <laughs> Happened many times. Yeah. Uh, you got it. Todd says, thanks. Okay. Um, now we're going to get to a spot here where Emily is going to destroy the float. Right. And, uh, what did you think of that? Me? I'm asking. Yep. Yeah. Sorry. Me? Yeah. Well, at that point, I'm committed. You know, I, I'm, I've just gone to the deep end and um, I made my play to have it not happen that way. And so then that's it. I might, I might have tried. I failed. So I just I said the fucking lines is fucking written. And, uh, <laughs> and I committed to it. You know, like, that's it. This is, this is the character that I'm playing. I have a theory, my personal um, approach to acting, playing a character is you have to be on the character's side. You have to absolutely believe that, that what the character is doing is the right thing for in, to motivate you, but to be, be on her side and be like, yeah, like if you were her best friend, you'd be saying, yeah, that's what you should do. You should, you should be trashing that float because that guy's an asshole and those people all suck. And, you know, so you have to feel it and, and be on her team. Yeah. Um, and so I did, I was secretly wearing a belt buckle that said, don't flick my big, um, that I'd gotten at the, at the uh, Rose Bowl flea market the weekend before. I was really careful that it never was seen on camera because I thought you guys would kill me if you saw that I had a don't flick my big brass belt buckle on live. Before. I was really sitting there flicking a big. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it, that was, that was great. That was a really great scene to do. It's fun to trash stuff. It's really good because it gets you worked up. And again, the scene with Shannon, like Shannon, Shannon just delivers. So yeah, I think that's the, the some of the most powerful stuff with the two of you there. Um, it's iconic, so uh, I'm glad that you did it. Because, <laughs> you know, go ahead, Jessica. I loved having you on the show, and I'm watching these episodes confirm for me what a wonderful character you were, and that you gave her humanity comes through so beautifully. I mean, she was a little nutty, but. She felt it in her heart. She did love him, and it made, it made her crazy. It was definitely our fatal attraction. And it, it you 
had many, many layers and many nuances in your performance that were lovely. Mm. Absolutely. And, and, and we're rewarded as such. I, you know, I've got all these statistics that, that uh, I got in preparation for doing all these podcasts. And this was our highest in my years. And I think probably maybe till the end. I'm not quite sure what the the, the last episode with the wedding in, in season 10 uh, got, but this was the highest rated episode that was done in my five years doing the show by far. The fire? More, mu by much more than commencement. We had the, we're the highest rate. We had the most viewers on mm. this episode. That, that's how I break it down in millions. So it was, I also, I have to bring up something that Chuck will appreciate. And I, we've talked a little bit about it before. We had a rule that in every episode we had to say West Beverly and Beverly in the same scene. In the same sentence, I think. Well, but in yeah. each episode, we tried to outdo ourselves in how clever we were to slide it in. And yeah. this one popped them all because it was on the float. <laughs> <laughs> it was the blaze headline. It was the blaze, and it was the the mock-up of the blaze. Beverly beats West. West Beverly beats Beverly for the first time, or something like that. And it was just, it was a perfect. It was a perfect moment for That's me. Amazing. Asked most often, I get asked more often than who's a better kisser, you know, Brandon or Dylan. I get, why'd you burn the float? Yeah, which I didn't do actually, which is my answer. Which is the answer. I, I, I kept waiting. <laughs> my, in my memory, the whole float burned. Same. And, and but I was, and I was like, she never lit the match. Yeah, okay. no, she never so. burned the float. Yeah, uh, so. Connie, Connie Ziegler says that the music during the scene when she's throwing the gasoline is awesome. I agree with that. I don't know if we talk about the music, like the score music, sometimes enough here on the show. But that that uh, that little classical piece, you know, well, with, it was intercut. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, was exactly. our, that was our Godfather moment as we were intercutting in the, the murders and the baptism. This was us intercutting between the mm -hmm. the concert and the and the burn down the house. Yeah, most likely off the top of my head, the man who created the the theme song probably did the score this one. No, I think it was a classical. I think it. They. I think they said it. They said it was Pag Paganini. Maybe it was so. Whatever. It wasn't scored. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. We're doing a puzzle right now, which is uh, famous operas. Oh, there you go. All right. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. I'm going to let Lily ask some fan questions. I'm, there's been a ton of them, right? So, there are. yeah. Um, so, I'll start with this one. This one actually came up a few times. A lot of the fans have asked, um, what was the reaction uh, after the mental health, the mental illness episodes? Uh, was there any backlash? And did the show or Christine receive any types of letters, overwhelming letters? And what was the response? I did not, but but you didn't. But it was very difficult to contact people back then. You had to do some actual write a letter and find a place to mail it to, and then I had to find and mail mail to get to you somehow. So I did not. But you guys, unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, at the end of the first year, Aaron uh, chose to have all the letters go to a fan club, and so we didn't get to see very much, as opposed to the season one where we saw a lot before he controlled all the mail. So. I, I don't have a specific answer to that, but in terms of what was the reaction of the fans at the time, really, but I do know that we just moved on. We had we had a next episode to shoot, and the next episode to shoot after that, and there was yeah. no time to think of Christine. And I don't really know um, 
I mean, I do not believe in my mind thinking about this, Christine, and we're not dealing into Act Seasons 4 and 5 on this particular video cast, but I, I don't think I, we wanted you back, and I'm, and I think you were already a couple with Jason, and we probably knew that, but at the same time, we wanted the character back. It didn't, that was more important than the fact that you had a personal relationship with the star. That wasn't why you came back, what you did when you were here. Mm -hmm. And, and when you need episodes, we have 32 of them to do. And here's a friend of the show and knows her character and can uh, factor into the romantic mixes. So. The other thing that um, started to happen though, is we started getting press. The show was getting so much press and, as uh, as as like Entertainment Weekly or whatever would come out with things, um, it was always mentioned, you know, and and, and Emily Valentine, you know, yeah. it was like suddenly, you know, Emily was part of the the story, the yeah. saga. Of we could else. do an entire video cast on the relationship between Entertainment Weekly and the show Beverly Hills 90210. Hmm. We we, we kind of helped them. Uh, Become the entity that they became, and yeah. they, was it her name, Jessica Shaw, the one who was assigned to us all the time? She liked not to her. I forget. Yes, exactly. And they would talk about how much the episode that we love the show. We love the show. Gosh, do we love the show? We're going to interview her. It's going to be great. And then they'd come out with the article. They'll slam this. They'll slam that. They'll slam that. And then we go <laughs> back again because well, and, and it, you know, not once, not twice, but yeah, about five times. <laughs> Uh, but, but you know, as far as the um, handling mental illness, that was the show's stock and trade. You guys were handling difficult issues for teenagers, like date rape and bulimia, and yeah. you know these things. So I don't know that that particular subject matter would stand out uh, the way because it, it wasn't the only topic. You know, the only <laughs> topic. I thought it was interesting that we had Andrea diagnose you. That was, you know, that was, I didn't remember that until I rewatched these episodes. And then Andrea says she has uh, borderline personality borderline personality disorder. It's like, yeah. oh, is that what it is? Oh, interesting. I didn't because you can't cure that with Prozac because I dated a guy with borderline personality disorder. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say that's exactly right. Dr. Andrea Pachemer. Yeah. yeah. We were foreshadowing her. She must have been a little bipolar and they gave her lithium or something. Okay. I don't know. I need yeah. drug. I said Prozac on the show. Oh, did you? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, Tara says, that is so funny. I okay. love you. Our, error, our errors in omissions insurance missed that one, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Tara says she loves you and you're one of her favorite characters on the show. What else you got, Lily? All right. So Jason Decker wants to know, uh, Christine, do you still adore the music of your youth, or are you over it? Do you still go to shows? To shows, of course, pre-COVID, and did you take Jason to any hardcore shows back in the day? No, hard, as far as I'm concerned, and this is a controversial opinion, but I'm an old lady. That's not controversial. That's just a fact. But uh, my opinion, the hardcore scene was over by '84. So, um, uh, and my friends all, my boyfriend in high school was a singer in a hardcore band called SSP. My best friend, my best friend in the world, oldest and best friend, was the bass player in that band. Um, and all the Boston hardcore guys are my family to this day. One of them was here because he helped me. He got laid off, so I'm going to hire him to fix some concrete stairs in my backyard. He's my brother. I've known him since I was 17. So the whole hardcore community is my Boston hardcore is truly my family. They are my chosen family and my, and my people I have at my holiday tables to this day. But uh, 
Hardcore for me was never the music. Uh, hardcore specifically was not music that I found supremely listenable. I was punk rock before the hardcore scene in Boston existed, and I, I had a much broader taste in music. I was listening to Rick. I saw I saw Prince in 1981 on um, St. Patrick's Day in 1981 because I was into Prince as well as punk. Rock. Like I was a very Rick James and Prince, and then Susie and the Banshees and the Cramps, and you know, so um, I had a really broad taste. And I still listen to most of the all of the old music from my youth I do still listen to, um, but not so much hardcore. I just would like to point out that he, that person asked that question in multiple forms. He really wanted to get it out there. So I hope you're, that was Jason, right? There you go, yes. Jason. Yeah, email. You sure. All you have to do is be a little persistent here and we'll make sure the question gets right through. All right, Lily, He also asked yeah. if you if you got to meet the late, great Lux Interior when, uh, when the Cramps played at the After Dark. I wrote Gypsies, Cramps, and Thieves. I got to write dialogue for Lux Interior. The Cramps were my like number two band of all time in high school. And yes, I got. I didn't get to meet him though, because I was a jaded douche, and I was like, oh, I'm over it. And I didn't even go to the set when the cramps were there. It's one of my great regrets in life is that I didn't go wow. to set, like a like a supremely <laughs> arrogant douche. I did not show up. <laughs> uh, all right, let's let's uh, yes, and la I think Larry wants to talk about that at some point. The cramps. I'm Lily. sure he does. He does. He loves that. He's a huge fan. Yeah. Okay, Lily. What yeah, else? Larry. Serious, all right. <laughs> Yes, go ahead. So the 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 quote that Emily says to Brenda, this isn't Beverly Hills, it's Knott's Landing. When I got to school, they should have given me a scorecard instead of a class schedule so I could keep track of everyone's boyfriends. Melinda Berg wants to know, for the writers, who came up with that quote? It's a great one. You, Steve, somebody, probably Steve or Jess, you know. As they say, they're on the top of their game. That's a nice line. So it is a nice line. There's, there's a bunch of like really awesome, uh, awesome lines. Lot of fun here. lines here. Yeah, <laughs> there, there really is. And also remember too, Darren was an executive producer, so he would read a script and Darren would throw in a line or here or there, and he was good at that, if I remember correctly. You know, he, when you could, when he had the time to read somebody else's script. Like the eleventh. The Eleventh exactly. Commandment: Thou shall not uh, talk to Brenda Walsh's boyfriend or whatever. That was another great little little line that uh, Emily says. What else you got, Lily? In that scene, uh, so though, where I say that Knox Landing stuff to Janet, is another moment where I welled up and was tearful and and didn't anticipate it. That's the most fun thing as an actor when you when you have an idea of how a scene's going to go and it goes differently but well. Um, Shannon, Shannon just brought, I, from, in my opinion, brought the best out of me. I, I have my best work on the show with her, and, and that, including with that, that line was spoken. <laughs> yes, we love Shannon. Go ahead, Lily. All right, so Lori Ebersole has asked, um, do you think that, Christine, do you feel that Emily Valentine got the closer she deserved in the series? So I went off to the Cousteau Institute, right? Is that what happened? Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, what are you gonna do? A lot of people, a lot of people got shipped off to France, didn't they? <laughs> Isn't France? Is there people want to die? I think Claire, I think Claire got shipped off. To France. Either either France or Hazelton, you know, one <laughs> or the other. <laughs> you know, I mean, that is, I love the show and I love you know working on it, and I I wish that um, I had been a series regular on that show. Uh, by the way, the spinoff that was supposed to happen was Melrose Place, and that I was gonna just ask you about that. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. I've been waiting to ask you this since you made a post about it a few months ago, and and you you said something about 
not enough money Melrose Place. And I noted it to ask you when you came back on the podcast. So can you tell us a little bit about it? Just that they, that Aaron said, don't worry, we're going to give you a spinoff. And I was like, come down, come down, The spinoff did actually get in, I had meetings with Darren and with Duke Vincent and Aaron. And they were, I was, Emily Valentine, everyone was, who are you going to play on the show? I, like, I would have played Emily Valentine. That's what the spinoff is. I wasn't going to play somebody else's, you know. Um, and uh, so it was supposed to happen and I was all into it. Um, it didn't happen ultimately because... I um, was afraid. Everybody already assumed that I'd gotten the job on that two window because I knew Jason, which isn't isn't how it happened. And then if I got another show and that was tied to Aaron and basically tied to Jason, uh, I would envision the next five years of my life where Jason and I are like, here's Jason Priestley from Nanner two and and Christina Lee's from Melrose Place, you know, doing joint presentations on the Emmys, and then forever my career is so intertwined with, J- with Jason Priestley, and it would appear that to the world that I owed my entire life to Jason. Um, that wasn't that wasn't something I, w- I was super into having happen, and uh, ultimately they offered me some money that I felt what wasn't a fair trade for what I, for for the perception that I was buying, letting the world buy, sell me into, you know. Oh, did so, you audition for it? No, did you physically read a part or just have the conversation. No, she would have played Emily Valentine. Would well, it? Would have played Emily Valentine's place as Emily. As Emily. Wow. You know what I just learned? Here's the second thing, Jess. So, you know, this is the timing. I just looked at the, when did this episode air? When would you have had this conversation? And when did I know that that Darren had just written a pilot called Melrose Place? You were helping Darren. So here's what what I thought. It was. And what was really interesting, the night before Darren was supposed to go to the network to pitch this show that he had told Aaron he was doing called Melrose Place, a couple of nights before he came to our apartment and said, you got to help me. I got nothing. So we just sat with him and he came up with characters and story and who was going to be the crossover and whatever. And all, all this stuff we helped him with. And he then goes and he ultimately makes Melrose and some of the things we suggested happened and some didn't happen and whatever. And then we write the episode of 90210 where Grant show is in there and that we bring him in and blah, blah, blah. Now flash forward. I don't remember how many years Darren and Aaron get sued. The company gets sued by some guy who claimed to have invented Melrose place. And then Rice, Rice, Rice table. Is that who it was? Okay. And we were brought in. We gave depositions because we knew he couldn't have possibly stolen yeah. it because we wrote it with him in our kitchen. He didn't have anything wow. to have stolen. Yeah. And because Jessica just brought this up, I was in such a, I also got deposed. It's the only time I've ever been deposed. And I was in a rock and a hard place because my partner on three shows that I had been, had done in the eighties was Michael Feilerman. And he was the, the executive producer on one side. And the network executive was Bob Greenblatt, both who were friends of mine. And, um, it was like that moment in, um, you know, the Woodward Bernstein movie where you're waiting for them to ask the question and they don't ask me. So I don't have to get into a conflict about saying anything about what Jessica just brought up. Mm. Wow, that's really fascinating stuff. I can't even believe so what happens with spinoffs is somebody is the person who is going to walk you from one show to another. And it's called an embedded pilot when you do an episode that has the person in it who is the crossover person. So because right. I guess you said no, they Grant's show became the one we had to embed 
Yeah. In the, and in who then crossed you, over. I can tell you right? exactly right before you created Grant Show, because I was thinking at the time, uh, with all my savvy, like they don't have any time to create another spinoff character. They're going to have to make this deal with me because they have no time to make a new person and, and get any kind of a following for that person in order to spin them off. And you guys created Grant and spun them off like in two episodes. Like it was like, <laughs> it's a show, ah, you know? And I uh, yeah. used to say to me, how long does it take to write you an episode, to write an episode? And I'd say, how long do I have? And yeah. then it, you know, it, we, we, Chuck. Did you get a character payment for? Uh... Do you know you do you know the answer to this before you're asking the question? <laughs> because it's a very I just been, my memory has just been jolted okay. here. Okay, so we I just said that we got you get a character payment when you happen to be the one that it falls on you to introduce the character. So I got Emily Valentine. Steve and I got Emily Valentine and we got Mrs. Teasley, the principal of the of the heist of Beverly Hills. Heist, but it was Beverly Hills. Price. You got Mrs. Price. Oh, that is so funny. So but back, back to Chuck's question. Did we get Grant Show, which we should have, because we introduced him on 90210, and then he carried the series. We should, have gotten, we should have gotten a dollar or $30 or $50, whatever it was, for every year of Melrose Place. Wow. And the first time that I've, like if you, you have to wait a few months, time goes by, we don't get the character payment. And I called the union or whoever it is, I forget who it is you call. And Darren Starr got the character payment. And I said, no, 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 that's not correct. And uh, it became um, an arbitration or a big dispute. Oh, uh, Darren took it and he stood and he demanded it. And he said that he had created the character of Grant Show, whatever his name was on the show. Um, he created the character when he pitched it to the network. And he had it like an outline. And I'm thinking, you pitched it. We gave you to the he network. He pitched it with me. I was a spinoff character. <laughs> you And it was like, oh you all, you, you, you know, we all those nights in the kitchen, all those long hours, the least you could have done was throw us the bone of the Grant show. But he's, he kept it. So the best, the best, the luckiest person in terms of character payments is the guy who wrote the very first episode after the pilot because <gasps> he got Dylan McKay and was the only one he wrote. And who was that? Uh, his name's David Sten. Oh, and that was wow. it. But it really you know, is uh, 30 bucks. It's, it's not like it some money. But if you take 30 well, bucks, it depends how much. It depends how many other characters are in there. It's a pie and you, you break it up depending on how many other uh, characters were there. That was the union rule. It was nice having Darren Starr on that one time. So. Yeah, as if he's ever going to come back now. He's ever coming back now. <laughs> no, just, just, that big mouth Jessica Klein just... Yeah. yeah. got to come back, Darren. He'll come back. It's a long time ago. Uh, Lily, uh, go ahead. you got a couple more for us here. I do. Um, Alicia Bogner wants to know, when you came, for Christine, uh, when you came back in, in season four, did it get any easier with the cast with regard to them being receptive? As a matter of fact, yes. Probably before season four. When I, yeah, four and five. So actually, it maybe happened in between because I was like living with Jason. So I would see them, you know, there was a 
big chunk of time where I would see them all the time before I had come back to the show. And all the girls individually came to me at some point and said, sorry, I was a bitch. Um, they all did. Um, except for Gabby, who hadn't been a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> no reason for her to say that, right? But, yeah. um, uh, and with whom I have a lesbian affair now. Um, uh, but um, yeah, they all did. They all apologized. And, but it was like, you know, I noticed it. Like I noticed you weren't nice to me, but it didn't, it wasn't like I went home and cried about it. So it was like, thank you. That's sweet. And let's move on. So, and yeah. I love them all. Like it, the reboot was great. All the, love, love, love. Big, happy, happy, joy, joy for me on that one. So. I was going to ask you about it was great. That was awesome, and I love what you did on that. Um, what was the experience like all those years later getting called back to, to be a part of that? I didn't get called back. I did, did I tell the story yet? I didn't get called back to be a part of it. Uh, I, I saw on the day that Luke had his stroke, coincidentally, it was the day they rolled out the ads, the da -na -na -na, you know, guess who's coming back sort of ads they did. And I saw the ad, and it made me have goosebumps, and I was like, oh, my God, I, I can't believe how, like, I – I have to be part of this. I had to. Be, I didn't even know how much I missed it until I was like, "Oh my God, it's happening again!" There's a way to be back in it. I have to be back in it. So that very day, I googled who the producers were and I friended them on Facebook, and they wrote me back within an hour and said, "Hey, oh girl, we gotta buy you lunch." And they did the next day. They took me to lunch, and um, I they said, "Here's what we're gonna do. We're doing the show. It's and everyone's playing a you know a heightened version of themselves and." Uh, here's what everyone's pitched for themselves, everyone's story, what they're going to be. Would you would want to do an episode? And I said, I'll, I'll do all the fucking episodes. Like, how many you have, I want to do them all. Uh, you know, how will we make that happen? Like, well, that's great, that's great. Okay, so um, what would you want to do as Chris, as the height and Christine Elise? And having not been told that I was going to pitch a story idea uh, at lunch, I said, give me, the, give me the course of the lunch to tell you. And I thought, I'm doing that thing, I like driving and thinking about something else thing. I'm having lunch with them and thinking like, what am I gonna, what am I gonna pitch? And um, I realized I think the funniest people on TV for my money are like the mom on Arrested Development or the mom on Two and a Half Men or Megan Mullally on uh, Will and Grace. So the boozy, the booze coos um, that's like has a sharp tongue. Her, her filters are gone because she's three sheets to the wind and they're, they're the funniest characters on TV. So I said, I would like to be the booze coos on this show and I would like to have a vendetta against all them people for uh, offenses real or imagined. I want to be the bitch on the show. And they're like, ha, ha ha ha, that's hilarious. And that was February 24th. And then I didn't hear from them again until they hired me like, a week before I flew to Canada in June. So I pitched myself and then waited and then it happened. See, this is a lesson to everybody, by the way. Christine certainly learned the lesson on 90210 that you must take advantage of opportunities. She just said, and I Googled them, and then I found them on Facebook, and then I contacted them. Just well, that's How simple. many people do something like that? Right. People don't do it. You so I urge, I urge everybody to learn from that in life. You yeah. know what? There's a little moment in the middle of that that I'll quickly tell, which is that they hadn't called me, and my friend in New York had a writer on the show. A friend is a writer, and she, they there was a whole writing hubbub, and she's like, my friend that was a writer left the show, and she's not writing for them anymore, so I can't give you any inside information. I don't know what's happening. Uh, you should really write 
them and have they called you if you have a job? I go, I, I, and they haven't. They go, you have to write them. You have to write them. I go, it is just not what you do. It's not protocol. Like, I already I already broke protocol. I'm not going to go, hey, guys, what about me? You have to, you have to, you have to, you have to. And then just, I'm like, this is not how you do it. Like, I can't be like, I know you guys are, writers are walking away and the network's all, it's all a clusterfuck and I'm going to go, hey, it's me. You know, what about me? I can't do that. And then that same day, they had made an announcement, like the, the premiere date. So I just took that op- opening again and wrote to Chris and said, hey, congratulations. I know the opening, the premiere date's been announced. I've chosen to be great. I know, have a great time. He's like, oh, my God. Thank God you wrote me. You would have fallen through the cracks. I almost forgot about you. And yeah. so I left that part out because it didn't seem wow. important when he just said that. And so yeah. I, I was really resistant to be the pain in the ass actress going, what about me? And uh, Good thing you did though. That I mean, you were. I think you make that reboot. I mean, that seeing you, seeing you in that that character that you brought to it, it was it was incredible. Well, they wrote it. They wrote it. So thank you. Yeah. 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 Okay, Lily. One more. What you got? Two more. Um, <laughs> Zara Brown wants to know from Christine, what was your take on Emily's journey? And looking back, what advice would you give those who are struggling with mental health and in love with the partner and coping with a breakup today? Ooh. Big question. That's some, heavy, that's some heavy stuff. I'm not a therapist. Um, <laughs> I I really think if a person makes you feel sad, just find a way to get away from them. And sadness goes away. Sadness heals, and but bad people stay toxic forever. So I I I, I don't have any real. That's a big heavier question. It's a question for bigger minds than mine. And so, um, but I think that. Breaking up with hey, people. Hey, call Carol Potter. Call Carol. Or Joshua Beckett. Josh, yeah, Josh, yeah, you too. We got Joshua on our call. Yeah. Yeah. As far as Emily goes, I, I, she was redeemed, as Aaron promised me she would be. And I, I am happy that, you know, her crazy story, her, the crazy episodes are the ones she's known for, for good reason. Drama makes good television. And when she came back, she was just like, a good girl, and it wasn't even really that not nearly as interesting as the stuff I resisted doing, you know. So I was like, ah, she's that I want to do it is the stuff everyone remembers. So, you know, as far as the yeah. character, I think you guys handled it very well. I think she uh, maybe should have would have been better served if she'd still been crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there would have been a lot more, there would have been some more fun stuff coming. Okay, Lily, your last right. one, Lily last Moore. one. So, this one is for Christine, Chuck, and Jessica. Uh, from your take, did you ever think that Emily Valentine would be such an iconic character, and where would Emily be in 2020? Emily would be working for the Biden-Harris campaign. <laughs> she would be working hard to make the Senate blue and to support everything that Nancy Pelosi wants to do. Does that sound about right for Emily Valentine, Christine? It sounds right for a character that I created. Absolutely. Exactly. Jess, I thought you'd like that. <laughs> I would like it, too. Uh, I had no way of knowing. I had obviously no way of knowing that she and apparently she's a lesbian um, icon. Here's my here's here's what I think the great legacy of Emily Valentine is from my perspective. I was a punk rock kid in school. I was the outsider. I understand what that feels like. On that show, there was you know Brian and Doug played sort of little quasi outsiders, but they weren't really outsiders in that show. They ended up being enveloped, you know, and embraced ultimately. Um, in the years since the show, the, the it's people that have felt disenfranchised 
uh, in life, whether it was high school or in their larger lives, whether they felt disenfranchised because they are a different economic, uh, you know, status than the community or a different religion, or they're gay or a different race or, uh, you know, all the ways you can feel other than or and uh, and feel other than. And so the, all those people forgave Emily for all her craziness because she stood and hold held a place on that show for them and those the misfit the island of misfit toys is an island that i would like to buy and you know and host because that's who i have been my entire life so it's an incredible uh legacy for me that i played a character that so many people that didn't feel spoken for felt spoken for by that's the grammar's bad there but you follow we got it. I want to say that what I feel so touched by, I don't think that Emily would have been such an iconic character who's remembered so vividly and with such love if you hadn't made her into a three-dimensional character because she could have easily have been a caricature. And we had other characters who were crazy who did become sort of caricatures. And we had, uh, we had but what you were, I mean... We are, we, this is a collaborative medium, and it worked really well for all of us to collaborate on this. Chuck, for you on on Christine and Emily, what Jessica just said, um, you obviously wrote for her again in season four and whatnot. You kept bringing her back. What is it that you loved about Christine's performances? <laughs> well, a she had she and Jay had great chemistry. B she she knew her character. She was a, and. And this is not to belittle, you know, the love you and love your talent and love what we all got to do together. But we had 32 episodes to do, Pete. Wait, 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 wait let's get that one. How about that one? How about that one? We was so much to do. And, I and Christine, we did two each year. And in season five, season four, it was like part of season four, quite frankly, up in San Francisco was, so you wouldn't let me go to Paris? Okay, well, I'm going to San Francisco. Because I went to school in Berkeley. It was a lot of friends up there. It was a nice That's tie. Right. The two of and them. And we could send the two Lane, of them as a couple. couple. You guys, you know, Jason and yeah. Christine could go up with Chuck as a right. couple. We didn't get but to go. That, that's right. We just just special from the director. So. But the, um, in, in the first episode, in the, in the season four, but season five, you really factored into the action. The, yes. The, uh, the 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 house is burning and Brandon's with you and not uh, his girlfriend. So and why did nobody ever tie Emily Valentine to that fire? She shows up I, and the house is burning. The network wouldn't let me do it. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, but I always that's my fallback. Right, I got you. <laughs> in both season four and season five, I was in double up, and so you guys remember that we were like, I don't understand the logistical nightmare that double ups means. If you're shooting a show that's mostly shot on the stage with built sets, you can't have two scenes happening on the same stage in the same. Even with a, you have to divide the schedules so that no actors needed at the same time, so the scenes have fewer people in them, obviously, because like you know, and right. they had to pick up where they are. You know, it's a it's a super nightmare. I get mean, uh, how you got Christine. We did a video cast on uh, double ups. Yes, and it's, in the, uh, it's in the uh, library, right? Yes, you can you can yeah, definitely check that in the archive. Double ups, sure. right? you find it. Yes, we talked about those those particular that particular double up the the ones That's that. Right. Emily came back for it. Yeah. Um, listen, I'm all about gratitude these days. I think we've covered this a lot. I think it would be awesome, Christine, for you to come back for some more down the line. Uh, this has been, Anytime. Yeah, been awesome. Fun, right? Yeah. Oh, it's so much fun. Tell your friends. 
Yeah, yeah please. Yeah. Tell Kathleen Robertson. Yeah. I don't know Kathleen, but <laughs> is she being persnickety? She's not coming. She we, we, not. we can't. We haven't gotten her, can't and we're her. now lobbying for Tiffany, right? Yeah. Now we're we've we've, we've shifted. We're at Tiffany Thiessen now. That's what we're trying to do. Yes, we made a switch. AF. She's busy, busy, busy. Yes, she is, and she's and she's very she's amazing. She's got a cookbook and all this other stuff, so she's got a lot going on. Yeah. Um, listen, no idol. But listen, the reason, like you said to, before, about what uh, Emily was to people, you—that is absolutely true—that uh, you brought something so special to that character, and so many people were able to identify with you because of you. Though I know that you brought that life to Emily Valentine, and um, your honesty and your work—it's just—it's just so large. It speaks so large, probably to who you are as a person. So uh, oh, just getting. Yeah. I suck. I'm way worse. Well, I think the world of you, and I know everybody here thinks the world of you because they've been leaving tons of awesome comments. All right. Uh, listen, on Friday, Larry and I are back. I don't think you're with us, Jessica, but uh, we've got I, Well, here's what I said to Larry. I okay. said, I'll do it if you need me to do it. And the next thing I knew, I had uh, episodes in my mailbox. So oh, I, I think I might be, but I'll, be, I'll be. I told Larry... I'll I'll let you know one way or the other. It will have to do with whether my days get away from me, whether I have time. So okay. I'll let you. But uh, it will be with Jill Novick, who is Tracy in season seven. This is like weird science for Chuck. Doesn't even recognize that face. He has no idea who that is. About writing, though, I would love to come back and talk about the writing. That yeah, Chuck I want to do that. That'd be great. Yeah, that'd that'd be, be just great. Yeah, and then on Sunday, I'm dropping. Uh, this is going to be crazy for fans, but I did an interview with somebody from season eight to ten, which is shocking. Uh, Lindsay Price, who played Janet and eventually married okay. Steve on the show. That's what Christine just said. She has the character payments for 30 her. bucks. Ka-ching. There you go. There you go. For Janet. That's amazing. Uh, something I didn't know. That's cool. Uh, and she's so we're going to drop that on Sunday as a bonus episode. All right, guys. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. And you. Uh, we'll Thank catch you. you. Thank you. Really? All right. Have a good one, guys. Great. Yeah, great. Love Love you, everyone. Everyone. See everybody.